Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to One Life Community Church. My name is Rich. Should I turn it off and not worry about it? Okay. That was a I, 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 and a yes. All right. Welcome to One Life Community Church. My name is Rich, and it is fantastic to be with you. Hopefully now you'll be able to hear me without lots of thumping going around. Um, the sun is out, and I can't tell you that I appreciate it so much that you would join us today. Uh, I've said it before in Seattle when the sun comes out. Um, a lot of people, the vast majority of people in our city would not choose to be here in church at all. And uh, so I, I count it a privilege that you would do so. Um, I want to point out as we begin, uh, in your bulletin on the inside right is a blank space for you. It's designed for you to use for jotting down questions, thoughts, comments, verses, ideas. You know, if you need to doodle, whatever you need to do to focus, to be engaged with this morning's teachings, please take advantage of that. Today, we are in week three of our sermon series in the Gospel of Mark, which is all about Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, the one life that we focus on every week here at a church as a vision, as in our name. It's about the kingdom of God, how it has come, how it is here now for everyone to experience. As we begin, I also want to point out and remind us that we have just recently entered into a new season of the church calendar called Eastertide. The season begins with the resurrection of Jesus that we celebrated on Easter, and it goes for 50 days with its end on Pentecost Sunday, which is this day where there was this incredible outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the early followers of Christ that launched this nonstop outward movement of the church as we know it today. This season, Eastertide, has historically been a time to process the effects that the resurrection has on us in our day-to-day life. And that's exactly what the Gospel of Mark is about. Uh, It's also, though, very important that we remember a couple of the key details about this book before we begin. And the first thing to remember is that it is written in story form with a very tell-it-like-it-is feel. It's very uh, actions-speak-louder-than-words style. Uh, It's very fast-moving. It's very relational with Jesus and his disciples spending time and focused time 20-plus times and and Jesus connecting with over 20 individuals in these one-on-one kind of situations. Another theme that's very big in the book is this idea of following, and it comes up 17 times in the Gospel of Mark. And we also need to be reminded that Mark's Gospel is heavily characterized by what we refer to as action and reaction. So it's like Mark has a cameraman, and whenever Jesus does a miracle, heals someone, is speaking, the cameraman zooms in on Jesus, but then after the fact, it pulls out and pans the audience to see the reaction of the people. And so you get the impression with the way that he wrote it that that what's really important is not just what Jesus does, but how we respond to it. And you see this theme coming up all the time throughout the scripture. Will we do what we want to do, 
or will we follow the example that we see in Jesus, which leads us to our text today. And I'm going to be really honest with you. Um, this text today was a big challenge for me. Um, it's always a challenge to read scripture and see the example of Jesus and see how I'm not always following that. But this, this week's text especially was the case. And when I think about the example of Christ, how Jesus prioritizes his life, how he faithfully follows the will of the Father, even if it's not what he would want to do, um, even if it's absolutely countercultural, that's what we're seeing here. And the story we're looking at is an example that Jesus sets before us, and it's, it's really hard for me to do. I'm just being honest. The more I've worked through this, though, the more I'm convinced that it's not just something for me. I think it's something for all of us. I think we're all going to connect in some way. And so before we dive in, uh, let, me, let me pray for us. Father, Son, Spirit, as we recognize your presence here through your Holy Spirit, we want to hear from you. We want to engage with you, and we don't want to merely hear from you. We want to engage and respond to you. And so, God, as we, uh, as we do so, whether it be through what I'm talking about, what I'm hearing, what everyone else is hearing, through the reading of your scripture, you name it, God, just help us to hear what you want us to hear and help us to respond in the way you are inviting us to respond. We pray this all in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So if you have your Bible today, if you could pull that out and open it up to Mark chapter 1, that'd be great. If not, no worries. The text will be behind me on the wall displayed, and you can follow along that way. But before we do the context, it's important for us to know we're still in the very early days of Jesus's ministry. But in true Mark kind of style, his book is moving very quickly. We've seen in the first two weeks here, Jesus getting baptized, and in this process, God comes down and says, this is my son whom I'm well pleased, again, declaring Jesus as the son of God, immediately responding to the Holy Spirit after this experience. Jesus then goes into the wilderness and is tempted by Satan for 40 days. Out of that time in the wilderness, Jesus quickly began proclaiming, the time is now. God's kingdom is here. Change your life, believe the message, and follow me. And it's with this message that Jesus starts calling his first disciples, his team together. After that, Mark records how Jesus begins teaching in the synagogues, casting out evil spirits and healing many. And all the people that are seeing this and experiencing this are amazed at his teachings, his authority over evil spirits, and the word about his miracles and his healings is quickly spreading across the whole region of Galilee. The next thing we see after all of this, which again is moving quickly, is that it's this evening after sunset on the Sabbath, and the whole town is basically knocking on the door where Jesus is staying, and they're bringing all the sick and those who are demon-possessed to him, and Jesus just kicks into healing all these people and casting out all these demons. And so when you think about the beginning of a ministry, you've got to be thinking, this is a pretty awesome start to ministry, Right? And if you were one of the first disciples, you got to be pretty stoked, right? I'm on this guy's team. Jesus invited me to be a part of all this amazing stuff that's going on. It's happening quickly, and everybody's excited, and amazing things are happening. That takes us to where our text is for today. Mark chapter 1, starting with verse 35, and it says this. After the spirit experience happened, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up 
left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, well, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. This is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Now, in comparison, this passage feels like a bit of an anticlimactic kind of thing at first glance. I mean, there's this voice of God declaring Jesus as the Son of God. There's this radical message. The kingdom of God is here and now. There's this excitement. There's this awe of all these healings and crowds and noise and wonder and people being transformed. And then there's Jesus alone in the dark praying. It's this very stark contrast to all the craziness and exciting things that was happening the day before. And when we read it, it seems like the disciples are having a hard time coming off of this spiritual high because they have no problems interrupting Jesus in this quiet moment of prayer, exclaiming with an exclamation mark, Jesus, everyone is looking for you. And I'm sure, to their surprise, Jesus doesn't just get right back up and rush to the crowds and start kicking back into all of those things. Instead, he says, let us go somewhere else. And they leave that place and continue his work throughout Galilee. To me, this is a crazy story. This time of prayer seems to have been a very important part of Jesus staying focused on his purpose and of defining what his ministry was about. And at the very least, we know this story was really important and left an impression on the disciples that they recorded it in the scriptures. So today I want us to discuss this time of prayer, why it was important for Jesus and why I think it's important for us as well. So the first thing we see is that this time of prayer was important to Jesus because it helped him stay strong when faced with temptation. And the scripture says very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Now, what sticks out to me that I can relate to in this story is that Jesus experienced a very small amount of sleep. I don't know about you. Anybody been up late and feel like a lack of sleep? He'd been up late the night before healing the entire city of Capernaum. And as Mark described in 32 and 34, he hadn't started this process until after sunset. So it must have been close to midnight by the time he was done. Mark says in the scriptures that he got up early in the morning, which is this Greek word meaning at dawn. And it's referring to the last watch of the night or the daybreak watch, which for the Romans, they divided the night into four watches approximately three hours each. And so this watch was between the time of 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. And Mark adds another description here of his time of getting up and says, while it was still dark, which is most likely Mark's way of saying, this is when he got up was at the very beginning of this watch. So it's very safe to guess that he's getting up at 3 a.m. in the morning to pray. Now, sadly, the way I relate to this is not because I get up every day at 3 a.m. to pray, but more because I can imagine Jesus being exhausted. Can anyone relate to feeling tired and empty and exhausted? And I don't know about you, but when I'm feeling this way, which I may be feeling right now, definitely often, 
I don't think, you know what, I'm going to get up at 3 a.m. and pray. But this is the example of Jesus. Now, the word the Bible translates as solitary is actually the word in Greek, eraimos, which literally means desert or wilderness. So it's interesting because the place where Jesus was when this is all happening is a very cultivated, lively place. But he wants to get some place that is like desert-like or wilderness-like. And the word reminds us of the first time Jesus was in the wilderness, when Jesus faced temptation for 40 days and overcame it. So Jesus is tired and feeling tempted, which I can also relate to. And it doesn't take much imagination to see how these huge crowds, people clamoring for him, would be a temptation. Luke even records that one of Satan's temptations in the wilderness is to offer Jesus all the authority and the splendor of the world. And it's in the wilderness Jesus had already confronted this temptation of Satan and was sustained by God. Satan knows the things that tempt us the most. And power, splendor, having crowds and cities calling out your name like you're famous is a big temptation for us. We want to be the greatest. We want to be known. And Satan knows that when we're tired and exhausted, it's a great time to tempt us. But faced again early in the temptation of having this quote-unquote successful ministry, whatever that means, Jesus again reaffirms that he's not going to follow his own will, but he's going to follow God's will. And so what does he do? He spends time with God in prayer. And as Jesus said to his disciples much later in Mark, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Praying against temptation is also something we see included in Jesus's teaching of how to pray, right? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So I think prayer in times of temptation can be so helpful because we're reminded of what we really need and what really matters, and it helps us focus on those things. And so I ask, what are the things that tempt you the most? The things that really get at you? Because we like to act like we are above that, that we're not tempted. It's a big lie. We all are. Jesus even was tempted all the time. And so this example, this picture, this story we see here is teaching us something about prayer. And that is that when we want something we shouldn't, or we want to do something that we know we shouldn't be doing, when we take it to the Lord in prayer, God helps us reorder and renew our mind. When I read this story, I imagine Jesus in this solitary place, talking to his father about how tired and exhausted he is. But I also think of him thanking the father for these amazing healings, these amazing miracles. And along with that, I imagine him being reminded of where his power and authority comes from. Temptations may seem to be coming out of our own desires and needs, but they're really coming from these lies that Satan's wanting to throw at us. 1 Corinthians 10 says this, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Which I always find this a very encouraging verse. 
I don't know about you, but sometimes my weaknesses cause me to feel ashamed to spend time with God. But in fact, he's our strength in these times. When I feel like very helpless, those are exactly the times I, be, I should be praying for help. I would love to say that's what I do all the time, but it's not. Which it goes back to this invitation we looked at two weeks ago with this idea of repent and believe. And if you remember, these two verbs that we saw are in a tense that implies that they are to be done constantly and that they're perfectly linked together, always repenting and always believing. Always repenting means that we turn, that we confess, that we own the truth, that on our own we can't do anything. But at the same time, we're holding on to this truth and claiming and embracing and believing that although we can't, God can And this is why the scriptures tell us that we should be praying without ceasing because we need to be constantly acknowledging that we can't on our own, but God can in and through us. And this is especially true when it comes to temptations, and we face them every day. And this is exactly what Jesus does here. Hebrews chapter 4 says this, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Because Jesus was faced with temptation, and one, we can trust him to help us. We're not supposed to get through this on our own. We cannot. We don't have the power to do that. But to take it to Jesus, we can, and he will give us grace and help in our time of need. And let's be honest, I think we all could use some of this, right? A little grace when faced with temptation would be nice. Now, the second thing we see here is that prayer gave Jesus fresh guidance and vision. And if you look again at verse 37 through 38, it says this, And when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. And Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So Jesus seemed to come away from his time of prayer with this fresh perspective about his mission along with the plan. And I think this is really important for us to catch. I think Mark is showing us something that we need to get. And if we remember some of the details of Mark, it's one of the shortest Gospels. It's the shortest and most chronological, but he's very purposeful about the words he uses, the orders in which he tells the story, and the action and responses of those. And so with that, it's very interesting to note that Mark only mentions Jesus praying three times. This is the first, then in the middle of his ministry after he feeds the 5,000, and then near the very end in Gethsemane. And all three, in some way, are critical moments in his ministry. In this instance, close to the beginning of his ministry, it seems like his ministry is being defined. And so what Jesus is praying about isn't recorded, right? We don't hear what he's praying. But it's as if he receives guidance from God and is able to define his mission, which is why he says, this is why I have come. He knows exactly why. 
Now Luke, writing about the same account in Luke 4.43, says this, that Jesus responds this way, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. Again, this person whose example we're following is one who was sent. Now, if Jesus relied on God's guidance and direction, it's even more important, right, that we do. There's a couple of things that I think we can see from this passage to help us as we look at this example that kind of take us even deeper. And the first one is that, that Jesus went into this solitary place to pray. Luke 5:16 says that Jesus often withdrew to these lonely places to pray. Now, does that mean it's necessary that whenever we pray, we get alone and go to some quiet place? And I hope you know certainly not, right, all the time. Jesus prays with his disciples. He prays in public at other times. But what we see here is that when we're seeking guidance or help from God, it can be very helpful to take time away from the distractions and to focus and also to better hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. My core group is a great example of this. My core is full of families with young ones just like me. And these kids, there's a bunch of them, they're all amazing, they're all different, they're all full of a crazy amount of energy, they love to get into everything, and they're loud, right? So our core meets twice a month in full family mode, or chaos mode as we tend to call it, and we try to be strategic, we try to get the kids to eat first, then have a movie or let them play, so that we could then have free from distraction time which is a big, yeah, right, right? You put 10 adults, 10 kids in one place, there's no distraction-free zone. And so our sharing time is constantly being distracted by things, which is fine. We're family, and we understand this. So what really happens is people share um, an update of on their life, they share prayer requests, and if we're lucky, we might get a prayer or two in before all the kids spontaneously combust at the same time, which is amazing how they can coordinate that. Um, but after these two times that we get together, we have separate sessions, one where all the guys meet and one where all the ladies meet, and those are away from the kids and they're away from home. And these times are far less distracted. They have more time for us to listen to each other. And not just to listen, but we have space to speak into each other's lives. There's a greater depth of sharing, and we're able to be accountable to one another. And it's more space, and it's not rushed. But the truth is, even there, it is not free from distractions. As much as I like to acknowledge the Wedgwood broiler, uh, it's not free of distractions. So it makes me realize, though, as great as both of these things are, how often do I actually withdraw to a distracted, free place to pray and to listen to God? Because when I pray in a still and quiet environment, I'm better able to focus on talking to and listening to the Holy Spirit. And so when we ask God for guidance in a situation, we need to be able to listen to the Spirit's spirit's voice, right? Because prayer is not a sanctified kind of form of talking to ourself, right? When we pray, we're talking to Jesus. And if we're not prepared to listen, then why are we asking for guidance in the first place? But how often do we actually make space to do that? 
Some of you may be familiar with this quote by Protestant reformer Martin Luther, which goes something like this. I have so much to do today that I will need to spend the first three hours in prayer in order to get it all done. And I don't know about you, but this is pretty much the exact opposite of how I think and move, right? It's so easy for me to allow the busyness of life, the tyranny of the urgent, to squeeze out the things that are necessary, like actually those things that are indispensable to my spiritual life, like studying the scriptures and prayer. And I don't know about you, I can even spiritualize it. Right? I, I can say, well, I've got to study so I can teach this sermon. I've got to meet with this person or this couple or this group. I've got to conduct this meeting. I have to write this email. I have to return those phone calls. Is it possible that when we are facing a massive amount of demands on life, that is the time where we are in most great need for God. Luther also said this, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. I mean, let that sink in. Is that true for you? And you think of it this way. If you walked in this morning and your physical nourishment this week, food and water, were reflective of your spiritual nourishment, scripture and prayer, how many of us would be on life support right now? Survey after survey reveal that Christians are praying less and less. While four out of five Christians say they prayed at least once in this last week, the average prayer is about five minutes. So... I say that and ask you, as I ask myself, do you think prayer is important? Do you believe prayer is as necessary to your spiritual life as breathing is to your physical life? And I don't know about you, it's way easier to talk about than to do. And again, this is why this text hit me very hard this week. So let me ask you how you're doing with this. Because if you're like me, you don't like saying, I can't. You don't like saying, I need help. You don't like asking for directions. You like to think you know what you need. You like to think you know exactly where to go. And it's all a big lie. And even though we all know it, we still keep trying to do it. And the busier I am, the more likely I am not to make space to pray. Anyone else relate to this? Just me? All right. You believe in the power of prayer And you know it's important, and yet you don't have a consistent, healthy prayer life to show for it. Why do you think that is? Well, I think it has to do with the next thing we see in this example of Jesus. And that is that Jesus did what the Father told him to do, even if it wasn't what he wanted to do, which none of us like. When we ask for for guidance, we need to be relentlessly responsive. Guidance only makes sense for those who are willing to respond If you're ever in that place where you feel like God isn't talking to you, I wonder if maybe you should ask yourself if you're listening and go even beyond that and say, beyond listening, am I willing to do whatever it is he's calling me to do? And I want to be clear. We've talked about this before when it comes to God and guidance. It's not this idea of prayer isn't designed to be a way for us to avoid taking risks or making decisions, right? God wants us to develop a good prayer life and good judgment, just like a parent wants their child to grow up to be able to make their own good choices, right? Which is why not only he gives us prayer, he gives us his scriptures. But if we're not prepared to obey that, we're likely not willing to obey his guidance when we pray. 
So it's important for us to ask ourselves, are we willing to obey what God's word says? Are we willing to listen to and obey what the spirit says when we pray? Because both of these things are incredible gifts from God given to us so that we would live our life on purpose. And so, so how are you doing at responding to God's will, his guidance and direction in your life? How often do you even ask for guidance and direction in your day-to-day? Another thing we see in this example is that prayer gave Jesus strength in times of trouble. Now, when we read the text at first, we don't think this sounds like a scene of trouble, right? He just had this amazing scene, highly successful ministry, people, miracles happen, healed, demon possession being taken care of. It all sounds awesome. But in the background, what we know already is that tension between Jesus and the religious leaders of his day has been growing. And we see in Luke that when he went to Capernaum, a synagogue of people had attempted to throw Jesus off a cliff, right? Things are not all great, And the disciples, I'm sure, are creating at least, at the very least, massive stress. I mean, verse 36, bright early in the morning, what do they do? They come out, Simon and his companions went to look for him, and they said, everyone is looking for you. That phrase more accurately could be translated in the Greek as hunting him down, literally. The phrase suggests an urgent manhunt. And then on finding him, they exclaim, everyone is looking for you. What are they saying? They're saying, we got up early. You're nowhere to be found. They're looking in this manhunt to find you, to say, get back into this, whatever you are doing. Can you imagine with this lack of sleep and all this stuff, the stress that comes from that? So what does Jesus do in his time of stress? He turns to the Father. Jesus' solitary prayer makes it clear that he is dependent on the Father's help. His authority, strength, and power come from God alone. And we often view prayer as a kind of resource to get us through the hard time. Jesus' example is that in prayer he submitted himself to the will of the Father. And we see this much later in Gethsemane. Jesus prays in anguish before his arrest. But the Gospels record him having composure and being far from intimidated in the events that follow up to his death. But I love this quote by Dr. Uh, Dr. Hayden Robinson. It says this, describing this. Where was it that Jesus sweat great drops of blood? Not in Pilate's Hall, nor on his way to Golgotha. It was in the Garden of Gethsemane. There he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the only one who could save him from death. And had any of us been there in that moment while he was praying, and we see him all broken up and crying and crying out and all these things, we'd be like, we're in trouble. This guy is losing it, and he's not even facing real crisis right now, right? Yet when the test came, Jesus approached the cross with courage. It was actually his three closest who fell apart and fell away. Have you ever felt called by God to do something that you don't want to do? or called by God to do something you would never in your right mind choose to do. Because that's what the disciples are faced with right here. They are disappointed. They're disheartened. Jesus insists on leaving Capernaum. All this at a critical moment when the disciples are experiencing great hope, awe, wonder. The person they're invited to follow is doing these incredible things like no one's done before. And Jesus brings it to a grinding halt. No one likes that. 
And as they leave town, they must have been bitterly confused and disappointed because it seems like they're leaving behind all the hopes and dreams of the crowds. But you know what? They stuck with Jesus. They kept their faith in him. They stumbled forward following him. And as a result, they were eyewitnesses to the gospel lived out in the life of Jesus. They saw many more healings, many more people where they were demon-possessed, transformed. They saw Satan's kingdom destroyed again and again, and they experienced more and more God's kingdom in their very own hearts. Jesus used prayer to reaffirm his intention to submit to the will of God, which meant for him to submit to the judgment of God on behalf of us, something he pleaded and begged not to have to do. But in doing so, in that time of prayer, he gained power over the temptation. He, he gained guidance from God the Father and the strength to do the things that he's called to do, even though he wouldn't want to do that. Which seems ironic, right? Submitting to God can result in power and authority. But then again, it goes back to what it is. What we're actually doing is submitting to this reality. On our own, we can't. But with God, we can. As we close, I'm going to invite our worship team to come forward. Um, And as they do, in your bulletin, I'd like to invite you to pull out that connection card and flip it on the back. There's a little space there. And I would love to hear from every one of you two questions. They're very simple questions for you. So if you could pull that out, that'd be great. Before you do anything, though, what I want you to do is just pause. If you want to close your eyes, you can. But I want you to think about your prayer life as it is right now and your relationship with Jesus. And as you do, I want you to try to picture Jesus exhausted after only having a few hours of sleep and having done tons of ministry the day before. He's getting up early, like 3 a.m. early to find a solitary place to pray, to refocus, to get direction and vision, even if it's different from his own desires. He's doing this to release himself from stress, to battle temptation, to be empowered and to be sent. And this example that we see in Jesus is the example set before us. So as you think about your prayer life, as you think about your relationship with Jesus, I want you to picture this, and I want you to ponder your own experience. And like we talked about, I want you to imagine now, as we've looked at this, the camera pulling back so that you can, uh, we can all see your response, right? The camera's focused on Jesus' example, and now it backs out to capture our response. And that's where those connection card questions come in. What do you hear? And how do you respond? As you As you engage this picture, as you think about your prayer life, you think about your relationship with Jesus, what did you hear today? And how do you respond? And I would love to hear from you. And as you leave this place today, there's a wood box at each door. You could just slide that card in there. Um, And truthfully, I would love to hear from you all. As the staff, we love to pray for you all, and those gives us specific things that we could be praying for. Um, and as I said, the prayer team is going to come up as well, along with the worship team. If you would like prayer, by all means, we've been talking about it all day. You could come up and take advantage of it. That would be awesome. But no, we are praying through your responses. Um, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to close this in prayer. 
The worship team is going to play some music, but they're going to give you a few moments to respond to those connection card questions. Um, and then they're going to lead us in a song, and we'll close our time out. So let me pray. God, today we are reminded again of our need for you. And we're challenged by the example you've set before us today. We thank you for the gift of prayer and all the ways it can help us. And together we confess we need renewed vision. We need your will, your strength and direction. We need your empowerment in our day to day. Help us, God, not to be too tired or too stressed or too confident or too busy or too arrogant or too deceived that we would just ignore prayer. Help us to follow your example and thank you so much for your grace when we don't. And we thank you for the New Testament picture of what you're doing right now, Jesus, and that is that you are at the right hand of God interceding for us. We thank you. We need your prayer support. God, we confess we can't do this life on our own, and at the same time, we hold on to the truth that we can do these things that you've called us to do with you working through us, Holy Spirit. So today, Jesus, as individuals and as a church, we ask that you would help us to follow your lead in prayer. And we pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.